Hello everyone and welcome to Audiobookish. This is an audiobook review and discussion podcast. My name is Fahed Rahman and I'm joined by Poppy Knight. Hello. And this is the first in a special series of podcasts we're doing about the nominated books on the shortlist for the Audio Book of the Year Fiction for the British Book Awards. They've kindly sent us some review copies. So the next three episodes are going to be reviews of the books on the shortlist there. And we're going to be starting off with The Night She Disappeared by Lisa Jewell and The Man Who Died Twice by Richard Osman Poppy. Yes. Okay. So I'll start off with the blurb for The Night She Disappeared. A cold case, an abandoned mansion, a family hiding a terrible secret, prepare to be hooked. Lisa Jewell's latest thriller is her best yet. Midsummer 2017, teenage mum Tallulah heads out on a date, leaving her baby son at home with her mother Kim. At 11pm, she sends her mum a text message. At 4.30am, Kim awakens to discover that Tallulah has not come home. Friends tell her that Tallulah was last seen heading to a pool party at a house in the woods nearby called Dark Place. Tallulah never returns. 2018. Walking in the woods behind the boarding school where her boyfriend has just started as a headteacher, Sophie sees a sign nailed to a fence. A sign that says, dig here. And I'll read out the author by Lisa Jewell was born in London in 1968. Her first novel, Ralph's Party, was a best-selling debut novel of 1999. Since then, she has written another 18 novels, most recently a number of dark psychological thrillers, including The Girls. Then she was gone, The Family Upstairs, um, all of which were Richard and Judy book club picks. Lisa is a New York Times and Sunday Times number one best-selling author who's been published worldwide in 25 languages. She lives in North London with her husband, two teenage daughters, one cat, one guinea pig, and the best dog in the world. And this audio book was narrated by Joanna Froggart. So do you want to kind of start off with your initial thoughts, Poppy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Sure, I can do. Okay, yeah. so... The first thing I've got here is that the tone is creepy and sad. Like the thing of, but they don't know what was going to happen next, um, is sort of what I had. And I found that especially with the audiobook. I mean, we are the audiobook podcast. We are doing this because these books have been nominated for an award in their audio format. Um, And yeah, I really found that you wouldn't necessarily get that in the print. There's things that are talking about this party, a pool party and things like that. And yet the tone of the narration is very sombre. You know from the start something bad is going to happen, even though, you know, there's lots of light kind of words, but they're not necessarily said light. And so that was kind of my first impression. I enjoyed that going into it. And then as it was going, I was like, yes, yeah, it's, it's a good crime book. I enjoy crime. I enjoy watching crime um, TV shows, uh, reading crime books, listening to crime books. I'm a big fan of the genre. And I was like, yeah, it's, it's a good one. I will be honest, I didn't know what would be particularly special about it, was my thought for the first part of it. Um, For a good while, I was enjoying it, but I didn't know what there was to shout home about. It then hit kind of near to the halfway point, and I got very, very into it. (laughs) And the last half, I absolutely devoured, and I loved it, and I do think there's something special about this book now. And yeah, so for me, it was a bit of a slow burner, but I really, really enjoyed it um, in the end. I think all that kind of slow burniness really built it up for me and, and got me to the point where I was really invested and really enjoying it. So yeah, that's my 
overall thoughts. What about you? I, well, I just wanted to like, comment quickly. Mm. It's, it's curious that you said it was kind of slow burn because I think that's a comment that's come up a lot in a lot of the reviews that I've seen of this. Oh, so really? I just did like okay. a quick, quick review. Mm-hmm. I did a quick look on kind of what other people mm, uh, yeah. thought of it and like slow burn and the the, the pacing oh, okay. came up quite often in a lot of those reviews. I really enjoyed this uh, mm-hmm. so to get that kind of like spoiler out of the way I mm. kind of agree with you because the story's told from three point of view characters so we've got Tallulah we've got Kim and then we've got Sophie mm. and yeah the initial point of view that we discovered the story from is from Kim's point of view she's putting the, her uh, grandson to kind of like sleep and it does really kind of like pick up pace in mm. the second half Mm. once she what she does really well in this book is she makes you care about the characters definitely definitely and mm-hmm. then when she does kind of pick up the pace you really you're really invested in mm-hmm. terms of what happens to them you're yeah. really keen to find out what the truth mm-hmm. is and who did what to whom yeah and all that sort of uh kind of stuff that you really you know which is what you want when you're reading a psychological thriller definitely. that's you want to be invested you want yeah. to care about the characters you want to care about what happens to them and yeah, so I, that's kind of what my initial impressions about it were. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's very fair and completely agree. And we you talking about those perspectives as well. So what this book does is it flicks between events pre the night she disappeared um, <laughs> and then events a good time later. And so you get pieces of information from both stories and, you know, they don't overlap. Like Fahed said, it's Tallulah's perspective when we're looking at the before stuff um and you know she's obviously not around after she's disappeared so we don't have her perspective there we have the perspective of other people either in her life or in some ways not in her life and so we as the listener get to piece together things from both sides of it and yeah seeing how those things tie together really cleverly i mean you can tell that this is an experienced crime writer you know from you know all the stuff that you said in that bio of it really plays out you can tell this is not her first rodeo you know it was really clever how all those chapters slotted into each other and um, even just you know the general builds more tension because you have to wait another chapter to find out the carry on from the one that you've just finished you know and um, so even just that but the way that they are cut together is absolutely fabulous um so yeah i think that was a really really clever thing with the writing yeah uh, definitely yeah so it's it is. It's a, it must have been quite a complex novel to write mm. because you've got, mm. I, I think, uh, three timelines. Basically, you've got before, Kinda, yeah, mm. um, and then you've got three different perspectives as well. Mm. So, kind of like making sure that you're not revealing information that one character wouldn't have known at the time. Mm. That yeah. So, only kind of like all those different jigsaw pieces that you'd have to um, put together. Oh, let's definitely. talk. A, let's talk a little bit about the kind of free point of view characters we've got let's start off with Tallulah I really fell in love with Tallulah mm-hmm. a little bit um and kind of her storyline of being a young mum mm-hmm. kind of sort of in this relationship she doesn't really want to um yeah. be in and kind of the responsibilities of being a mother but also that being really young and wanting to go out and meet mm-hmm. exciting new people and live your own life for mm-hmm. yourself without any responsibilities and kind of how there's like an internal struggle there I really mm-hmm. quite enjoyed 
And even though yeah, I'm ne- nearing my 40s, I still feel like that's mm. kind of like yeah, we're, we're always constantly searching for that feeling of having a bit more freedom and going on an mm. adventure somewhere, um, but also being kind of weighed down by responsibilities. Well, how, how did you feel? about yeah no I feel very similarly she is very likable and sort of she is certainly a lot of the time in the book is quite meek but not in a way that that you could potentially dislike you know I don't think I mean obviously potentially people could but you know it's it's not that sort of meekness she is um quite a meek character but as you say she has dreams and ambitions um and things like that and a lot of confidence in there within her but maybe she needs to search to find it kind of thing it's very much a more um endearing meekness where you wanted to to break through that rather than kind of frustration and I guess I'm sort of meaning because it's not like you know in the realms of crime fiction it's not just a sort of meek victimy character that gets tossed away you know she is very much a full one and it is yeah, really nice seeing those different bits of her personality. And yes, very likeable and a mix of, you know, you can definitely see why she ends up in some situations that she's in, um, as well as also, which she even comments herself, you see ways of, you know, you really hope she might have made a different choice to, to not follow down that path, you know? And that's another thing with obviously knowing stuff that happens in the future timeline, you know? Yes. You're like, oh, I, I really wanted to do this thing, but I know she must not because then this wouldn't happen or, okay, but if it does, how does it? And and that definitely happens throughout the, that you're guessing, okay, I'm sure this must happen and this mustn't happen, but how do these things add up and, and that sort of stuff? But yeah, no, I think she's a really likable character that, yeah, it, it's nice that we get to see so much of her kind of inner yeah. brain and inner workings and get to know her really well. Yeah, and I think like for me, you know, she is the one that disappeared. So she is at the heart of the novel. Mm. So we do really need to understand from her perspective why she takes mm-hmm. certain decisions that she takes, and like mm-hmm. all the decisions she kind of makes are kind of understandable from a certain perspective, mm-hmm. even though mm-hmm. they frustrate. Well, they certainly frustrated me. Yeah, <laughs> and you can you can just, see something you wish. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just like just grab hold of her and shake her, and just like, oh no, that's a, okay. Yeah, but then there wouldn't be a novel. Um, <laughs> and then uh, we've got Kim, her mother, who mm-hmm. again is a really likable character as well. I really like mm-hmm. the stuff with her at the beginning, where it's kind of describing her journey on being like a parent and how um, mm-hmm. she only wanted two children because she really values her sleep and how much it understandable mean, yeah, how much it means for her to sacrifice her sleep to stay up with her grandson and to kind of uh look after him and her kind of like personal you know we we hear about you know a lot of the sacrifices that um she's made and how much she loves her children and cares for them and her mm-hmm. family dynamic with both her daughter and her son and with mm-hmm. Zach I found was kind of quite compelling and mm-hmm. I just, yeah, there's certain things that Tallulah keeps from Kim that I really mm, wish, wish that, she didn't. yeah, wish she didn't, yeah. but you can kind of also understand at the same time why she keeps those things from her mm-hmm. as well. And it just made me realize it doesn't really matter how close you are to your parents. There's always going to be that barrier there. And that, I thought, thought that was a really interesting dynamic of, you know, a parent realizing how little they actually know about their child. Mm. So that's another thing that I found quite enjoyable. Yeah, and no, definitely, there's definitely 
so many parts in there where you really do just wish she'd said something to Kim, you know, and and certainly I was. You you led to believe that that would have solved things. Um, but as you say, some of how she was, she didn't see the things that, you know, yeah. we, we wish she'd been told um, and, you know, maybe gave Tallulah that impression that she wouldn't fix everything for her or I, I don't know, but there was definitely, yeah, some barrier with not opening up to her about it. And obviously there are other reasons why, you know, opening up to her could have been difficult yeah. and could have made things worse and various things like that. But yeah, that is a, a really sad part of the book is that, ah, oh, could you not have just, yeah, yeah um, definitely no, uh, agree yeah. with that. And um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm just saying kind of like from Tallulah's point of view, I've... I kind of got a little bit of a subtext from like Tilly's point of view that maybe she felt that her mum might have noticed some of the behaviour and felt that it was like normalised and okay. And maybe that's another oh, reason okay. that she kind of didn't bring it up. But yeah, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I hadn't particularly got that vibe, but you can definitely, yeah, read that into it, I reckon. Yeah. And I think like you were saying, um, important stuff about Kim as a motherly figure, obviously to her own children, to her grandson, especially when she has to step in for her grandson. And there's a lot in that where it talks about the reality of kids can be difficult, Yeah, <laughs> you know, and it's all right to say like, oh, this kid's being really annoying. And, you know, I, I wish I didn't have to be um, looking after him but it was also I thought a really good thing and, and rather a crux of why she is so determined to find out what happened to her daughter because this isn't what Tallulah felt about Noah like yeah she found him a bit difficult you know has said things like oh he was, he's being a pain at the moment going to sleep and stuff like that but that isn't so much the bit of her life that she felt was keeping her not free yeah you know, and that, w- that was burning her. There is a lot of talk about that in that she didn't in any way want to run away from her son. You know, yeah. she wanted that responsibility. Um, and even if maybe she wanted to sort of have a little bit of a life as a young woman without that tie, um, but certainly not on any sort of permanent level, but yet you still have that discussion of, you know, kids can be difficult and a, a grandmother that's, you know, happy babysitting, but then suddenly has to become a mother again yeah. is a really important thing. And she's already, before this, kind of become another mother to another child, Zach, yeah. who does not have a good mother um, and has become a motherly figure there. And yeah. that, that is a significant part, I think, of how that whole household dynamic worked yeah and the fact that she did feel maternally towards zach as well and i also think mothers in general is a really massively big part of this book even in the terms of literal like plotting wise mothers are extremely important i'll not say any more than that um but yeah you've got so many mothers in there um you also have sophie as a stepmother figure and what that is like it's explored from so many different angles you have so many of the characters i mean this is a a story that is set with kind of college student age you know um upper teens early 20s kind of age characters are are a whole lot of them but you get their parents in that quite a lot of the time as well um and it really does explore so many different um 
parental but specifically motherly um, relationships with these kind of older children, which is really, really fascinating. And yeah, yeah, works really well for the book. Yeah. And then kind of the last character, which is Sophie. I don't like Sophie was like a a nice enough character, but it is just kind of like out of um, both Kim and Tallulah, she Mm -hmm. was like the most two dimensional. I felt Mm. she is more like. I don't want to say like a deus ex machina, but she's more like a, a plot mm. device rather than a character in and of herself. It's not that I didn't enjoy listening to the chapters that she was, the yeah. you know, point of view and, you know, like she had like her, her chapters were kind of, I think the ones with, because like uh, there's a lot of heavy stuff in there. So you needed a little bit of lightness mm. and a little bit of humor. And I think that's what mm. her point of view brought to the novel. I don't know if you kind of felt the same way. At all. Mm, I think I can probably agree with you there. I think yeah, a lot of what she does is about the the finding clues that bring this cold case back into the light again, you know, and kind of drives a lot of that. Um, I quite liked as well how some of her sleuthing was very like technology and social media based. Um, I thought that was done really well. I think that can often be done really, really cringy. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I thought in this book it worked really, really well. And that was something where, yeah, I guess you sort of couldn't have anyone that had been around before playing that role because then why wouldn't they have figured it out sooner? Kind of um, things like that. So yes, in that sense, I do think she is more functional, as you say, than kind of... A, a, a major character that you feel for but like i said about like the stepmother stuff you do get some of her backstory and some of her feelings um i do always find it funny that it is such a big trope particularly in crime for writers to write about writers (laughs) (laughs) Um, and write about crime writers and there are so many crime writers within crime books it is really quite funny yeah um but yeah, one of our favorite books of last year. Um. Well, yes, very true, very <laughs> yes, true. Yeah, 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 um, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, is, it is a massive trophy thing, but it, it was quite yeah. Like I said, that kind of thing was amusing, and yeah, I think the fact that she was more detached from the situation, like you say, gives you some of that relief from um, what are some really intense stuff. So we won't explain too much of what goes on. I think we've both been trying to be quite vague of it. But there is definitely, between characters and in relationships, some abusive and manipulative and controlling behaviour that is very intense and hard to listen to. And also one of the reasons why I think this is so good in audio um, not that you can't and not that I can't, you know, read the book and hear the people saying these things and, and be sucked in and feel uncomfortable and all that. But I do think there's something different about having to hear it. Yeah. Having an external voice putting you through it. Yeah. Like the characters put through it that really did make my chest flutter and make me very physically tense um, and things like that that I think, yeah, is really good. And both in the the things that felt very unsafe and very dangerous. And also, I think, the times where potentially manipulation from characters can be very compelling, you know? Yeah. And can make you, I don't know, fall in love with them, like them, do what they want you to do, make you feel valued, um, make you think that you would do anything for them various things like that I do think it was very powerful hearing that and having the characters that are doing those things literally in your ear 
yeah. to to put you in uh, people's perspectives of what is that situation like that I think was yeah obviously intense. <laughs> yeah. And especially when I binged a very, I mean a very tense large chunk that I binged last night and then I could tell I wasn't in the happiest of moods <laughs> afterwards because it, it really yeah. really does affect you which is yeah testament to the amazing writing and also the fantastic performance as well yeah so um there are two other kind of main characters in here Zach and Scarlett who mm-hmm. play a really important role in Tallulah's life as so Zach mm-hmm. is Tallulah's uh baby daddy I believe is the um <laughs> uh, the common term and Scarlett is this uh, girl from a really kind of privileged posh background that mm-hmm. uh, studies at the same college that Taluda's going to and mm-hmm. um, they kind of meet at a uh, bus stop and they kind of develop this relationship that is really important to both of them and yeah and that is part of the catalyst of uh, kind of the, the, the future events that kind of unfold again mm-hmm. we're kind of trying to be spoiler free mm-hmm. as possible um yeah well i was gonna say on that which yes i think spoiler free yeah. but i think it is pretty spoiler free to say that there's some definite sexual tension yes um because that is clear from their very first meeting yeah and i think that is something that's really incredible how well that's written again sexual tension is something that can either be like appear non-existent or be really cringe yeah yeah but this i thought was so obvious it was the tension there not necessarily what's going to happen in future isn't obvious but the tension there was just i can't explain how it was done but it was so real and so definitely obvious that yeah that is not a spoiler to say that there's some sexual tension there um because yeah it is so clear from the off and that is such a good thing um and that's sort of just yeah, I don't know. I really connected with that just instant feeling that there was something here that wasn't platonic and it had an edge to it. And there's definitely something in the air sort of thing that, yeah, I thought was fantastic. Yeah. And then this doesn't need to be a spoiler either. The fact that um, Scarlet is by, and I do. And it's kind of at her party where... Mm. Um, because that, I think that happens. That that information's revealed quite early that it's on. It's her pool party. It's yeah. a her pool party where, um, yeah, Tulula disappears as well. So yeah, yeah. And there is definitely. I don't think there's any secret to anybody. There are definitely some issues with how bisexuality is presented in media and stuff like that. Um, things of like, you know, connotations that bi people kind of are promiscuous, promiscuous, and, deceptive. Yeah, that sort of thing, and yeah. can't commit. And yeah, that it's a synonym for wants everybody all the time. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and stuff like that. And also that just whether it's um, bisexuality or homosexuality or a plethora of different labels, that that sort of reveal that, oh, wait, it's the same gender is kind of, you know, shocking or and is used as that. That, that is a, a, a problematic thing in media in general. Um, and there are some bits of this where you could argue it's kind of like that. There were some words and phrases that personally really made me wince and I didn't like, but I was able to convince myself that they were more from characters' perspectives. And as much as I dislike them, I kind of have to admit that people do think like that and it is very fair that those things are written in there and things i'm not saying that i think this is like uh you know 
amazing book you know for the bi community but i'm also not condemning it either i don't think it's like a a terrible one there are some really terrible uses of it there's some bits i don't love um but yeah but i did think there was also some good bits and some really interesting things about it and it was also interesting given that this is coming off the back of a review of unfortunate stars you know talking about sexuality and people's internalized feelings about their sexuality as well as what they think other people will think about it and stuff like that that was yeah really interesting hopping from that book to this one and having some of the same themes explored in a very different setting yeah Um, i think there's i want to move on to like uh joanna's uh, narration Mm. just want to kind of pick up something really quickly about that kind of like uh uh, you know kind of sexual like for me like part of the kind of exploration of sexuality and here's also kind of the, the, the kind of sexual relations between people from different classes mm-hmm. as well as kind of something I found yeah, kind yeah, of like yeah. how like you know when you're kind of dating with your own class that can be kind of seen as kind of quite safe and the expected mm. thing to do and then like if you're aiming for someone who's in like a different class or if you're dating down and all that sort of like um class dynamics also I think plays quite um, an important part yeah. in, in the story, especially in the way that I think, for example, if someone from like the boarding school had disappeared, I think the police would have um, treated mm. it in an entirely different way as opposed to, you know, this is a working class girl from from the, the local village. Oh, definitely. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, class certainly plays a, a big part in it. And sort of the two things connected, the things around kind of experimenting and you know tying sexuality with class that sort of idea that um that girls in college will try things out and that some people can be you know used in that sense is also connected in here with uh, like you say dating down a class and using that as an experiment and experience rather than actually valuing yeah. as a person is definitely a thing that's in there and that yeah ties those things of class and sexuality together with this this kind of a, a shared yeah a shared experience there of when boundaries are crossed are they actually being crossed or is it someone dallying in an experience which yeah is is very much a kind of from a privileged position thing, which is a huge thing in here. Um, It made me think of sort of like, I think there's quite a few crime shows and stuff that I've seen, like at least advertising stuff that are sort of, you know, set in American sororities and stuff like that. And it's about the posh girls and, but when some murder happens and, you know, how things are covered up and, and that sort of stuff that definitely plays a huge uh, part in it and is quite interesting. Um, But yeah, and then, yeah, this, I think, does, as you say, like, interrogate it a little bit more rather than just, yeah, divulging it being a less serious story or whatever. Yeah. So let's talk about Joanne's narration. Mm -hmm. I thought she was fucking brilliant. She is really, what a performance. What a performance. Mm -hmm. But she imbues the text with, like, such empathy Mm -hmm. and the way she narrates kind of like almost every sentence there's like nuance and Mm -hmm. understanding and i I love the way she did the voices yes and yeah i thought she was absolutely brilliant absolutely magnificent yeah no i definitely definitely agree and yeah i think this is my kind of thing before like you know the the beginning sections of sort of okay but what is there to write home about you know 
it's good. But as you get through, you really realise how spectacular that narration is, you know. This book isn't necessarily doing something as exciting in and of itself, like innovative, like, for example, True Crime Story that we recommended last year, because it's, you know, it's not really playing with the audio format or anything like that. But it is incredible narration that I really do think elevates we've used this word before but it's true elevates that text and yeah voices definitely i think particularly her characterization between Tallulah and scarlet is fantastic so much so that you could in some ways be convinced that it was two narrators kind of thing you know you very definitely that is not a someone's reading me this story and they're doing two voices this is there's two people two people come to life that you have two very different images of you know, they are very separate. And I think that is fantastic. I think her male characters, even so, you do get a little bit more of a feeling that, you know, this is someone else reading it. You know, this is a female performing the male's part. But even so, if you get like into a really deep bit with, you know, Zach kind of basically doing a monologue, yeah, you're not in any way brought out of it of like, oh, this is a woman reading that. No, like you, you can tell that she's done something to her voice to make it seem more masculine, but it's not meant to be his voice. But still, you are still sucked in. It's still like he is speaking to you and he is in your ear, which I think is fantastic. And yeah, really distinct voices, um, and and not just kind of some are posh and some aren't. You know, you 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 get real different voices um, between them. I mean, there are quite a few, like we've said about all the different mothers, there are quite a few women of a similar age um, and certainly ones that like work or have something to do with the boarding school. I, I don't know, maybe if you put those voices together, they may be slightly similar, but I, not in any sort no, of confusing yeah, way. Yeah. Yeah. It just yeah. is kind of, I mean, how many voices can one person do? Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, it, it was really, really fantastic performance. Um, yeah, absolutely stunning. I, I liked it, as I said before, from the off with that kind of that decision to make even the happy stuff have an overtone of cold and danger is coming but not in any way that I thought the performance didn't suit the mood you know it's not like I thought she was wrongly making stuff sinister when it wasn't it was all perfectly perfectly done yeah Yeah. can't can't recommend enough yeah I think yeah she did like a a, a fantastic job I just want to make a quick note about Scarlett's voice while it was like a brilliant performance every time Scarlett's I just (sighs) It's kind of she reminded me of those um I say those people on um like those uh shows like Made in Chelsea or something right. like that. And I just uh, make like that that kind of like, oh darling, and just that that sort of um mm. accent just makes my skin crawl. Yeah. Which was fantastic because it's um it's kind of quite accurate in terms of like that's how people like that sound. And yeah. yeah, you can kind of you felt you that especially when um in Tallulah sections when she's uh, either talking to her mum or talking to uh, Zach or Scarlett, you feel like you're in the room listening to a conversation mm, between yeah, those two, yeah. which is, I think, a really like fantastic trick to be able to, to oh, pull off. You don't feel, feel like you're, you're uh, listening to someone talking to you. You feel like you're listening to two characters having a conversation. So, yeah, 
definitely. Oh, they completely came to life. And yeah, I get you about Scarlet. <laughs> definitely, you can you can see why her voice might be annoying, but annoying for the character. You know, yeah, not yeah. like this narrator is doing an annoying voice for this character kind of thing, which does happen. You yeah. know, there's definitely been audiobooks that I've listened to where I'm like, mm, why did you do that voice for that character that's just really grating and annoying? Because like you say, it suits. And also just... Yeah, and maybe this is not a good thing, and it maybe worries me slightly, but the fact that there are a lot of reasons, including that annoying voice and what comes behind that, you know, the connotations of it, yeah. to not like Scarlet, yep. and yet I felt a bit of that pull that Tallulah feels, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know? Um, yeah, 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 I agree with that, yeah. Um, so yeah, which yes, maybe we're slightly worried about, but we'll wash that under the carpet, that's yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's kind of like the danger of charismatic people isn't exactly, it <laughs> so exactly exactly like, yeah. and this is why yeah this book does it so well because you can feel yourself in yeah into the shoes um so, so yeah, yeah definitely. so i think that's kind of like a firm recommendation mm-hmm. from yeah, both sure. of us i think this is a really strong candidate mm-hmm. on the short list so mm-hmm. yeah and it's not an author that i'd read before and no but yeah. i think we've got to both check out some more because yeah yeah, yeah very good yeah. Okay, so um, uh, any any closing comments on that? Uh, I think we covered most of what uh, yeah most of what I was going to say, but I could yeah. talk about this for a long time. It was a very yeah, good yeah. book, and yeah, stick at it if you're not yeah. sure um, that it's worth it. It's worth it. Yeah. So the next one that we're going to do is the uh, I was going to say the Thursday Murder Club, but that's the, the name of the first book. Yeah, yeah. It's the name of the series and the name of the first book. So. I believe I'm going to be reading out the blurb for The Man Who Died Twice. It's the following Thursday. Elizabeth has received a letter from an old colleague, a man with whom she has a long history. He's made a big mistake and he needs her help. His story involves stolen diamonds, a violent mobster and a very real threat to his life. As bodies start piling up, Elizabeth enlists Joyce, Ibrahim and Ron in the hunt for a ruthless murderer. And if they find the diamonds too well, wouldn't that be a bonus? But this time they are up against an enemy who wouldn't bat an eyelid at knocking off four septuagenarians. Can the Thursday Murder Club find the killer and the diamonds before the killer finds them? Okay, and so this is, of course, written by Richard Osman. Richard Osman is an author, producer and television presenter. The Thursday Murder Club is his first novel. He is well known for TV shows including Pointless and Richard Osman's House of Games. As the creative director of Endemol UK... Richard has worked as an executive producer on numerous shows, including Deal or No Deal and 8 Out of 10 Cats. Okay, so do you want to get started on this one again? Because I've got thoughts. Fair, okay, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I'll give, a, go. I'll give uh, a bit of my personal background to this book, I guess, because uh, Richard Osman, we are a big Richard Osman fan in this house. Uh, we watched Richard Osman's House of Games quite a bit. I did a spoof version of it for my mum's birthday, <laughs> which had questions related to the family and stuff like that, yeah. uh, which was very fun. So yes, and, you know, shows like 8 Out of 10 Cats, we've loved for ages and things like that. So yes, and I bought my mum the first book, but I don't believe she's actually read it yet. Um, and I hadn't read it or listened to it yet. Um, so yeah, so I am going into this without having heard the first one. Uh, I did just go straight to this second one. And I mean, one of the first things, again, a personal thing, there's a character called Poppy in it. Yes. I can't not <laughs> make this <laughs> yeah, one of the yeah, first yeah. things that I say, uh, which is very weird for me because I've not come across many things with poppies in. Um, and 
when I have done before, I've not particularly liked it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, this I, I didn't dislike as much, but it was very weird, especially hearing it rather than reading. Hearing my name said that many times, it was an odd experience. Um, but yes. That's not something I've ever <laughs> thought about because I, that's really not a risk with my name. Mm. At all. If, if there's a character called for head in a in a in a book, I'll be like, oh wow, okay. Yeah, uh, well, but, yeah. hopefully there are more of those in future because it is a real shame that that you find that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I have found that in that it isn't as common a name. Yeah. But yeah, it crops up occasionally, uh, and yeah, it's very weird. I'm sure that if you do find a book with a for head in it uh, and you listen to it, you will find it weird because yeah. I really did. And, you know, and I do wonder if it's something that people with more common names don't find as weird because they hear it all the time. Yeah. You know, Um, but yeah, I don't hear it much. Um, I've met a few poppies in my life, but not a ton. Uh, And it was it was very, very weird. (laughs) It has nothing to do with the book. This is very much a ramble. And if anyone is coming to us fresh, um, thanks to the fact that we're doing this for the British Book Awards. um, Hello. And I'm sorry that I've rambled for so long (laughs) about my personal list, but it's very weird. Um, Very weird. Um, and then this, in connection with the book that we're doing at the moment, you know, uh, partly by design, we've picked kind of the two crime ones to do together, but they're very different crime books, you know. The one we just talked about was very definitely a psychological thriller, and this more falls into the category of cosy crime. Um, it's not the coziest cosy crime ever. It does touch on some uh, difficult stuff and some potentially darker stuff than you'd usually find in your typical sort of, you know, country village fate someone's been poisoned by a cake kind of cozy crime which yeah was interesting yeah, it's kind of that sort of that very much in that uh, midsummer murders mm, sort of thing yeah, i yeah. would say um so let's kind of talk about the book so it kind of the the, the inciting incident is basically uh, elizabeth who's a former spy mm-hmm. and her ex-husband rocks up to the retirement village that they live in which is called cooper's chase and he basically says, you know, uh, this is all really early on the book, so this kind of like not massive spoilers, but mm-hmm. he's stolen some diamonds from a very dangerous person and now he's kind of like on the lamb a little mm-hmm. bit. So that's kind of like the inciting incident. And then from there, things kind of snowball catastrophically. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> we end up with a lot of collateral damage and um, mm-hmm. dead bodies from there on in. Um, I'm just going to kind of get out and just like say I really didn't get on with this. Right. At okay. all. I I think part of it might have been because I just finished listening to The Night She Disappeared. Mm-hmm. And like the analogy that I'll use is like, you know, after you brush your teeth and then you kind of like, you might like drink uh, orange juice. <laughs> have that sort of really mm-hmm. kind of like jarring thing. And I think there's a little bit like that. It's kind of like going from one like flavor or kind of one like tone of book yeah. to another like this was a bit jarring. Um, mm. But even... That said, if I was reading this novel, I probably would have put it down by the second chapter. I just, I, yeah, it, it just wasn't really for me, which mm. kind of speaks to the strength of Leslie Manville's narration that yeah, she kept, kept me going. She, she kind of like kept me in it. And it just makes me ask the question is her performance better than Joanna Froggett's? Because I like the text in Joanna Froggett's book more. Mm. and I dislike this but she was able to keep me engaged more in a text that I really didn't get along with as well but maybe that's a discussion uh, a question we'll kind of like uh discuss a little bit later on well maybe but it's kind of an interesting thing for now as well because I was sort of thinking that 
where in the night she disappeared certainly by halfway through i was really like yeah this is right in audio because this narration is spectacular and is really elevating an already really good text yeah and while i thought leslie's was good and i guess this is a bit like what i said uh, last episode about unfortunate stars and how that narration pulled me through something i maybe wouldn't otherwise you know read but yeah i don't know for this one not in any way any disrespect to Leslie's narration, which I thought was good, but it came back to that question of what was it doing that was special, you know? And even though The Night That Disappeared wasn't doing anything, you know, uh, format-breaking, I still thought it really made use of audio and, and really, yeah, took advantage of that in her incredible performance. Whereas this one felt more to me like the book was being read aloud. I don't know so much how much it added. I think it was a, a brilliant performance and absolutely nothing to, uh, you know, not criticising it at all. But I don't know what made it an incredible audiobook, you know? But yeah, it's just interesting that you said about, does that mean you think Leslie did an even better narration? Because I'd probably say, I'd probably say no, if we if we had to <laughs> yeah. compete and stuff. Yeah. Not that she did it badly um, in any way. And again, you know, uh, you you can only do with what you've what you're working with. Yeah. You know, it's not in any way that I think it is a bad audiobook, but we very much do our podcast on, you know, what makes this audio special. Yeah. Um and I think it was a very good audiobook, a one where if you for any reason choose to listen to it rather than read it, you're going to have a great experience listening to it, you know? It does that wonderful thing of making a print book into an audiobook and then both being at least as good as each other. Yeah. But I don't know that I would say, you know, anything was super exciting about the audio itself. Yeah, yeah. I think I would agree. Well, in, in terms of production, there's nothing kind of particularly special about it. I think Leslie's got a very listenable, listenable voice. Mm. Is that a word? She made me think, yeah, she made me think of Maureen Lippman that we yeah. just did the reviews yeah. of her when she was narrating the Jill Tomlinson books. Yeah. There was a, a, some of that in her voice and accent, I think. And yeah, very pleasant to listen yeah, to. Very ple- I mean, so pleasant to listen to. I almost fell asleep um, mm. a couple of times. Um, so it's kind of like one of those ones where... Um, if like, that's why you got, use audiobooks, then yeah, yeah, yeah this yeah, is certainly not a yeah, bad one for that. Yeah, mm-hmm. Not a bad one for that. Um, yeah, so I, that's something I'm going to have to wrestle with a little bit in terms mm. of what I actually think. Like for me, she did more with less. Um, okay. So mm-hmm. maybe that's a contributing fact. Let's talk a little bit about the book, though. So the Thursday Murder Club, we've got Elizabeth, who's an ex-spy. Ron, who's this kind of like gruff working class ex-trade union uh, person. Joyce, who's this kind of like deceptively sweet, um, mm. kind of like makes out she's more naive than she actually mm. is uh, character. And then we've got um, Ibrahim, who's a psychologist. And I just want to like, say really quickly, if it wasn't for the chapter with, I think it might, might be the third or fourth chapter, which kind of focuses on uh, an incident with Ibrahim, mm-hmm. I might have stop listening to because that to me that chapter there about um mm-hmm. his kind of his journey into town and his life story that to me was like an almost like pitch perfect short story right and i yeah. don't think there's another section of text in the book that soars anywhere near the same heights as that and that's kind of convinced me to keep listening to it I just thought, if there's another section like that 
mm. in this book, then it might be something a little bit special. But like, sadly for me, nothing really came close to that section. So yeah, right, yeah, no, I'm totally. And I was actually going to pull out him as well and his kind of parallel story that runs into it. Um, yeah. Because of his the incident that happens, he doesn't take as much of an active part in this sort of investigation stuff in it, and yet keep going back to him. And how he was feeling and how, yeah, he was responding to that incident and just learning more about him, like you say. Getting to know him as a character, how lovely he is with, like, is it Ron's grandson? Um, yes. I think or something uh, like that. Kendrick. Mm. They were really, really great moments. I think Ibrahim uh, is a really great character. And, yeah, I think definitely added something really, really valuable to this book. I think his storyline and, yeah, as you say, the, the, the writing around him and stuff like that it's interesting that we both pulled that bit out because yeah i think that was a one of the strongest bits of the book yeah and obviously this is about an aging cast of characters so themes about that capability if they've like missed a step what happens kind of next uh elizabeth husband suffers from i'm not too sure if it's like alzheimer's or dementia um, maybe it's specifically spelled out in the first book what he's but obviously he's, he's kind of memory memories going and that I think gives like uh, another meaning of kind of like dying twice mm-hmm. as well I also think on that as well in the slightly more humory ways because it is it is a delicate balance in yeah. that one because you do have those serious things and again the way that Ibrahim feels about what happened is partly related to how he feels about aging and getting older and, you know, the time he has left and things, which is really sad. And there's a lot of stuff um, about that. But then you also get sort of light relief moments and not in a making fun of elderly people way, I don't think. No, Um, I don't think so, no. But kind of a nice thing. So, like, there was a bit of, like, we can use the iPad this evening and do a little bit of research, um, which really (laughs) made me laugh because it made me think of both my gran and my partner's grandma um, who have both spoken in basically that exact same way of, oh, well, I'll just get my iPad out and we'll check it on there, uh, which, uh, yeah, that that really amused me. That was a nice, uh, nice yeah. moment. And I think a lot of his inspiration for this series has come from, I think, his mum and the retirement village that she's in and stuff, didn't it? Um, and kind of some actual stories and some characters and some personalities and things um, from that. And I think that probably shines through in the book. Yeah, I've, I think one thing I will say, I think, Richard Osman genuinely has a great deal of affection for the characters that he's created. Mm. I think as a result of that, though, he doesn't really put them in any actual jeopardy in this book. So I didn't really feel like at any point that either Elizabeth or Ron or Joyce or even, you know, what happens to Ibrahim, that there were any kind of like actual jeopardy of them being seriously hurt or Mm. dying or suffering some sort of emotional um yeah, damage I, so i think kind of like it just felt a little bit safe from mm, but i think that's the thing because it does fall into that cozy crime category yeah. um, and i think you make a very good point that you probably will have been colored by coming straight from the night she disappeared yeah you know i actually listened to them the opposite way around okay um, so yeah so i can't really comment on that so much but i do also i'm probably more familiar with cozy crime than you are yeah um, i'm quite a big fan tv wise at least of the agatha raisin Okay. Um, stories yeah. and stuff like that. It's not and that a genre is, I'd ever touch. So, which yeah, is I think totally that, yeah, fair, yeah. yeah. And that is very much... If any of your core characters in a cozy crime thing, you thought they might die, 
I'm no, I'm sorry. <laughs> they would, uh, everyone would riot. It would not be okay. I think that is, yeah, very definitely a genre thing where you have a core group of detectives or amateur detectives or whatever thing like that, and they are gonna travel with you in every single story and every time that you know 70,000 people seem to die in this one small village those guys are gonna be okay um, I think is very much a thing of the genre but it's a fair point that that is then a different experience for you if you're not worried about that um kind of jeopardy in there but yeah I, I would argue that is much more a personal taste thing about the genre than yeah. it is about Richard's writing yeah and that a lot of people will really like that comfort yeah. um there's talks kind of around about the fact that cozy crime is really booming at the moment because people need some of that security you know in the news and just general life things are pretty crap yeah <laughs> um and yeah. <laughs> and people are really feeling a yearning for you know what i maybe don't necessarily want all this terrible tense psychological stuff all the time actually i'd quite like something that you know it's still going to be an interesting kind of puzzle murder and um, how's it going to go but i don't need to be on the edge of my seat uh, and i think they're definitely kind of in general doing quite well at the moment because they are feeding that need of people to be distracted which i think crime does really good because yeah. you are trying to you know piece it together it and and get drawn in in that way but without the yeah without so much the emotional turmoil i guess yeah. i mean i i, I did just want to say a couple of positive things about mm. i think the i think the characters all really well done they're all mm. 3d characters are you know, Elizabeth, Ron and Joyce and Ibrahim are all mm -hmm. kind of like, you can kind of like... And Bogdan as well, I really and like Bogdan, Bogdan. And as well as the the two police officers, I can't remember mm -hmm. their, their names at the moment. But yeah, I feel that their their interactions with each other and yeah. their dialogue was quite mm -hmm. you know, well written. And mm -hmm. I, I do think generally Richard does write quite well. I think mm -hmm. it's just, mm -hmm. this is not a, you know, a, a genre or a story that I, I cared for. <laughs> yeah. Also, I it's, it's from the sounds of you, it's, this is a genre that you, you're a little bit more familiar with. How do you think this sits in with kind of like the all other sort of stuff mm. in this genre, and kind of how do you feel that the kind of as an audio book, yeah, it kind of performed against that stuff? Yeah. Well? So definitely more familiar than you, um, but nowhere near as familiar as a lot of people will be. You know, the people that will absolutely devour those series um, and stuff like that. So I won't claim to be, you know, a, a complete. Um, expert or devotee or whatever but yeah it is something I know more than you and yeah I thought it was good but I don't know how special you know it's not made me rush to go and read the first one or go and listen to the first one because it it hasn't overly compelled me but I didn't dislike it either I enjoyed it it was worth a listen for me I think um but yeah, I don't know how much I have to shout home about it with. But I completely agree with you about the characters, yeah, being really good. And especially, going back again, the narration to voice those characters so separately. Again, I felt like I had them come to life in front of me and very different images of them as people rather than someone is voicing these characters, which is really good. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I, I did like about this how... Cozy crime can definitely fall into a lot of very non-transgressive stuff. 
it can be very much uh, the country village and these are the values of the country village and they're not really challenged by the end of the book kind of thing um which can be a bit problematic and stuff like that um one thing that i think this book does well is that it does add some challenge to some things in there things especially about misogyny and sexual discrimination that's talked about specifically less so much in the cozy village but in massive institutions like um you know mi5 or whatever and how that translates to just, you know, business in general and stuff like that. There was a lot about, certainly back when Elizabeth was there, but the fact that it's still, you know, how sex can or has been used as a way to um, manipulate underlings or as a way to get ahead and or as the only way to get ahead potentially as a female uh, and yeah misogyny in general and people with misogynistic attitudes and stuff like that which I thought was really good how this book did challenge that throughout you know it didn't do a massive essay on it uh, which you know you wouldn't want that's, that's not the part of the book but that it, it it did challenge those rather than reinforcing them because yeah I think it is easy to reinforce those things especially when things are like genre tropes and stuff like that um so that was one thing that i thought was really strong of this book especially because it's focusing on characters of an older generation um and older views and stuff like that but it was i guess progressive is maybe the word um but i thought there was some good stuff in that i mean ron is basically the closest that you get to to someone with like old-fashioned views mm. really um well the um i thought elizabeth's ex definitely yeah, is, yeah, is the main well, one uh, yeah, for that yeah, as yeah, well, yeah. yeah um so I, mean, I think that's quite true um the other thing i think bothered me a little bit and i think obviously it's due to kind of kind of like the slightly twee tone um <laughs> in, in the book is kind of like how um casually like some of the murders um yeah. are treated and also yeah. like there's like quite a lot of um institutional corruption and i was just waiting yeah. for like um ted hastings from like nine of duty to kind of like barge <laughs> in and say oh, what do you think you're doing there fella <laughs> um so it's kind of like <laughs> that's kind of the, the the other thing that kind of like um bothered me but that you know again that's kind of a function of of the genre yeah um, i get you but i did well. like sort of a time with what i just said i kind of liked that the corruption was you know flagged as corruption you yeah. know and and that was kind of pointed out in there and um, but yeah i agree with you about the flippancy of the murders and it is i think that is definitely a, a genre thing because you don't want in a cozy crime to be too attached to these characters that are going to die because kind of part of the reason of it being cozy is that you're not going to be feeling like that and yet i think what richard has done in making it cross that boundary into slightly more serious then maybe doesn't add up because you're made to connect with characters and find their death upsetting and yet you're also meant to brush off any of the deaths that are in the cozy crime because you're not meant to be too affected by it so that maybe could do with some work for okay if you're going to cross one boundary you need to think about how it's going to affect the other stuff um so yeah I, i can i can agree with you there that did feel a little bit um odd like wait are we not supposed to care but i kind of do <laughs> yeah, um yeah yeah so how did you feel because i think a, a lot of reasons one of the bigger reasons why people read or listen to 
crime novels is trying to figure out the mystery mm. at the center of it. How did you feel that unfolded? I was kind of quite satisfied with the kind of like clues and the way mm. that unfolded and it did kind of keep me guessing a little bit as yeah. well. How did you how did you feel yeah, I think I agree. I think I agree. I think there was some good kind of back and forth of sending you down one direction and actually it's a different direction. So yeah, I think that was good. And I do actually want to say that about um, The Night She Disappeared as well, which I didn't actually mention, because I yeah. thought that was very good. There was kind of a part of it that I... You could say figure out, but in reality, it was just me hoping it was going to yeah. happen. Um, so yeah, but maybe there was some picking up on the clues there, but it might have also just been me crossing my fingers and hoping it would be the case um but still i even with that piece of the puzzle in there i couldn't figure out how it then added up with the other stuff that i knew i I was really missing that piece which i thought was really clever and i loved the ending both kind of the uh ending and resolution of the mystery but then also the epilogue at the end was fantastic and we've spoken before how i'm very difficult to please with endings and i think as well with what you've just said with crime it's very difficult because you do want to be left satisfied you do want to think that was convoluted enough that you know it it was a justified puzzly complexy mystery but you also don't want to feel like well that was just a bit ridiculous you know it's a really difficult one to do and i thought that one did it fantastically and then yeah i think um i think the man who died twice was was quite good as well it pulled threads together quite well uh the end yeah Yeah. i'm I'm, I'm okay with that there's i mean there's a bit of silliness in both books kind of like Mm. you need to kind of like take certain leaps Mm. in both books but i think the 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 puzzle element kind of like that whodunit uh aspect of Mm -hmm. The, the man who I said the night that died twice there that's the <laughs> man who died twice um was kind of like uh quite good and I agree with the ending and this I think might be a slightly overblown compliment but the ending that Richard Osman wrote for this kind of slightly reminded me some of the endings that um Terry Pratchett wrote towards right. the end of his book in terms of like how he progresses things and kind of like wrap things up and say right mm. this is kind of like like you know this thing that you thought that we I'd forgotten about this is actually what happens uh right, to, to, yeah, to yeah, that yeah. sort of thing and kind of like yeah so I felt he did that um quite well. I think he's a really capable skilled writer yeah um it's just yeah I won't be reading any other books in this particular series it's just yeah. not my cup of tea no that's fair and I feel as you could probably be able to tell from my preamble before we start talking about this I do feel bad criticizing this book because I am such a big I, Richard Osman fan I love Richard Osman um, in general yeah, he's one of yeah. my favorite Taskmaster contestants ever but... oh it was so good oh, it was the first episode that I watched of Taskmaster this is completely off topic but the first episode that I watched was the series two episode with the exercise balls on top of the hill yeah. because it just happened to be on that was the first one that i watched um and then i've loved it since and yeah he's a very good very good taskmaster consistent completely agree and yeah he's fab and i certainly um should he potentially happen upon this podcast i really wouldn't want any sort of offense being taken at all um i do think it is a good book i, I think it's a good book and i think it definitely like you say it shows some of his real um craft in there he put some really fantastic moments in there uh we know how i love language and i really thought yeah i mean he's um, very kind of clever witty um, oh definitely jokes in there so yeah, yeah yeah and i loved the bit where ibrahim talks about 
the specificity of words and what do you think of when you think of a monkey versus uh what was it versus a penguin yeah. um, it's a really interesting section and things like that i think there are some real gems uh, some hidden diamonds <laughs> yeah. um, in, in this book um so yeah and definitely don't want to criticize but yes i think that it didn't necessarily have something in it that really really made me go wow i want to rave about this everywhere um yeah. and yeah that's not a criticism to it as the book um but just our honest honest review i thought it was good i thought it was good i'm not in any way going to tell people they shouldn't bother with it i think it's worth trying yeah, i mean i, um, I wouldn't yeah. I w- yeah i mean i wouldn't say not, not bother with it it's just it just wasn't for me i think there's mm-hmm. yeah for me it was you know its flaws don't really outweigh its benefits i know lots of people really really love this book and you know quite rightly really love richard osman and kind Mm -hmm. of leslie manville again i think did a lot for me she did a lot of heavy lifting with Mm. this book so i think her narration um does deserve it does deserve kind of like um special notes there so i think Mm -hmm. out out of the two books that we've reviewed i I think definitely i preferred the night she disappeared to the man who died twice. How, how do you feel out of these two books? Which one did you prefer? If you're going to make me pick a favourite, <laughs> then then yes, I'm going to pick um, The Night She Disappeared. But uh, with the order that I listened to them, you know, so I had the whole of the Richard Osman one. And then, yeah, from the, the first couple of hours, first few hours of The Night She Disappeared, I was in a similar brain space to what I've now been saying about um, The Man Who Died Twice in that I think it's good. I think it's a good example yeah. of its genre. And if you like that genre and devour all of it, then this is definitely one to add to the list. But I don't know what's special. I think the difference for me was that The Night She Disappeared got special. Yeah, um, it so, really yeah. did. I mean, the, the mm-hmm. second half of that book is yes, kind of just something else. Okay, mm-hmm. so that's your lot, guys. The next two books, we're going to be reviewing... Careless by Kirsty Capes, as narrated by Amber Gad, and The Wizard of Once, Never and Forever by Cressida Cowell, as narrated by David Tennant. So that's mm-hmm. going to be on the next episode. As always, guys, please continue to support the podcast, either by donating in the tip jar, follow us on social media, and please leave a rating or review wherever you found this podcast. And again, thanks to uh, Chloe and all the good folks over at the british book awards if you go to their mm-hmm. website kind of like we're one of the official supporters which is kind of like quite a big deal oh that's so exciting <laughs> for, for i'm us. buzzing yeah so yeah yeah so um yeah once again thank you for all the support guys and yeah get in touch thank you and, so much. and um keep supporting us thanks guys wonderful thanks. bye bye